Is it possible to find hope in Christ, to believe in the goodness of God when there's death in your family and that when those whom you love the most have passed from you? See, some turn bitter, some don't. Find out why. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I want to introduce you to a wonderful, faithful pastor. His name is Pastor Tim Clausen. You know, Pastor Tim is a widower who began to serve his church very shortly after his wife died. He's got a story to tell, and he's got a story of love and of loss and of what that actually means. I think you're going to find him to be an amazingly authentic man who speaks both of suffering and loss and of an intense love for Jesus. And if you've always wondered how that can be, I'd like to introduce you to Pastor Tim Clausen. You know, Pastor Tim was married for some 33 years. Um, He had a wonderful marriage. Um, He and his wife had uh, three wonderful daughters who are actively following Jesus today. But Pastor Tim has a story to tell that involves the death of his wife and what that meant to him and what that means to us. Pastor Tim, where were you when you found out that your wife had cancer? Well, um, we weren't sure right at the beginning, but uh, the way I remember the story, I'd just come home from an amazing weekend with my brother. We'd gone fishing in the interior for the first time in a long time. And uh, my wife had gone to the doctors for some tests in the afternoon, which she really hadn't told me about. She came home uh, that Monday afternoon, and I'll never forget, I met her in the driveway, and uh, she said to me, Tim, something's wrong. So we, uh, almost right away, we got in our vehicle and we drove to the ocean, went to White Rock, and went to a place we'd often been, and we just uh, talked and walked, and uh, we knew the news was not going to be good, but we, we just reminisced on our life together. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things we talked about was we had no regrets. And uh, that stuck with me. Yeah. I think you were married for 33 years. 32 years. 32 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have three girls. Yeah. Um, so you've lived some time together. How long did you know each other before you got married? Not very long. Uh-huh. Uh, Virginia was the kind of girl that uh, uh, I was smitten immediately. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, I won the lottery and uh, I think we'd only been dating for six months. We got engaged. We were married within nine months. Huh. Where'd you meet? We met here in Abbotsford through uh-huh. a friend. Yeah. And it just went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know each other's families at all or it was just no. a... You know, one of these divine arrangements by God. I thought so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you come home and did you talk to your daughters or did that take some time? No, we didn't know exactly what the news was going to be. I mean, we suspected it was cancer. Um, She had been coughing for several months. Originally, the doctors gave her antibiotics for some kind of cold. 
that didn't do anything. So then they decided to do further tests and that's when she got the news that this is not good. So on the Monday, <clears throat> we knew that and she, they immediately scheduled her for a CAT scan on Wednesday. And that was probably the hardest week of my life. Um, I remember I had to teach a class Wednesday night with everything hanging in the balance. And um, yeah, just uh, somehow God's grace got me through it. And then uh, it was Friday that we got confirmation that it really wasn't good. And it was the day of my daughter's graduation, getting her uh, bachelor's degree at SFU. Right after her grad, I got a call from her doctor. He wanted to come see us Saturday. And so we knew uh, a, house, a, a house call from a doctor is not really yeah. you know, gonna be good. Yeah. At the time, two of our daughters were living in uh, Montreal. Okay. And um, when we got the call Friday from the doctor, my, the daughter who graduated overheard me and um, I asked her, please don't, don't tell your sisters what's going on. And uh, behind her back, she did. <laughs> And uh, she it called was too it, much of a burden for her to, to hold on to that. Yeah, and because we knew actually her sisters had planned a trip to Boston that weekend. It was going to be very special. We didn't want to ruin it. And um, But she called them, and they immediately booked a uh, ticket to come home. Yeah. Huh. So they came immediately. You had family time together. Yeah, so the doctor came over Saturday morning. Um, told us that my wife had kidney cancer, which is often discovered by accident. And the reason why she was coughing is it had spread to her lungs. I see. Um, we were informed there would really be, uh, there'd be no cure. And um, it would just be some blood treatment that they would do. Um, so we got that just before noon, that news, and my daughters arrived. Uh, they got a ticket from Quebec, arrived that afternoon. We met at the airport and... Um, yeah, pretty amazing. We all got together and uh, just uh, hunkered down as a family, laughed, cried. Um, I mean, how do you process something like that that happens so quickly? Um, it just made us so close. Did you at that point in time ask God to heal her? I mean, it takes a few days for sort of the numbness of what's happened because it always happens to someone else. It never happens to you that close to home, even though, um, you know, other family members, extended family members have had cancer. But there's something about when it's your spouse. Um, it's like it's like hitting you personally in a, in a way that it's hard to describe. Um, so you process. We called friends, let them know, ask them to pray for us. We believed in prayer and that... God can work through prayer. And um, I think deep down inside, I believe that God was going to heal my wife. And so we, you know, we began on a journey of, of lots of prayer, soliciting prayer, continuing to pray. Um, and I spent uh, a night without sleep praying for my wife. Um, I, did, I didn't want to leave anything on the table as far as not asking God to, to touch my wife. You were working at that time for um, your own denominational missions agency. That's, that's right. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that, of course, gives you connections yeah. really throughout the, the nation and uh, through much of, you know, a great part of the world as well. Yeah. 
So I have no doubt you would have had individuals that would have taken seriously a call to pray for her. Absolutely. We, had, we knew we had people praying all across the world for Virginia's uh, healing. Did she immediately enter into treatment? And how did that treatment go if it did? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> there was a lot of confusion at the beginning. We were told they weren't going to do anything. And then all of a sudden we were told, yeah, they need to operate. And uh, so that did happen. She had to have her kidney removed because there was a, uh, a mass developing there. So in, in July, um, she had that removed. The diagnosis came mid-June. Um, so so she, things were moving around very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. So we had the kidney removed, and then, of course, there's lots of weight loss that uh, went along with it. Um, people were so gracious to us. Uh, we had access to a beautiful cabin in the Shushwap made available to us by some friends and went there as a family while my wife recovered from the surgery. And then after that, uh, she went on a, a blood treatment and meeting with, uh, you know, specialists and all these kind of things. Um, there are a few times in the journey where she had to have her lungs drained. I guess they would fill up with fluids. And uh, some of those times were extremely painful for her. Uh, she'd never experienced, never experienced something, you know, that painful. And, um, you know, from uh, month to month, uh, you'd see her deteriorate just a little bit more. And uh, at the same time, we're, we're praying through the whole process. The time period that we're talking about here, um, from the, the time that, you know, she said to you, I've had this diagnosis to the time that she actually passed on. Mm -hmm. How much time did that take? It was nine months. It was nine months. Yeah. And would the progression have been steadily downhill throughout that process, or were there feelings of hope that you had. Well, through. we never saw, I mean, we never saw her get, like, take a turn for better. And never, it never entered into our mind, oh, she's just going to get better. Like, we knew it would take a miracle. And typically what happened would, was she would, uh, she'd be stable for a while. So you see no change over a couple of weeks. And then there'd be a drop. And then we'd have to go in and they'd adjust her medication. And, um, you know, I remember one time where uh, it happened really fast, where, where um, she was uh, throwing up uh, quite a bit and severe headaches. So we had to go into emergency, actually. And, and um, you know, uh, the, the emergency is overcrowded. Here she is on a bed in the middle of a hallway and, uh, you know, and, and coming in and out of consciousness. And, you know, you just, um, you, your heart cries out to God and... And you're there. Now, there's another part of the story that kind of, I mean, somehow God put this together and that you're working for a missions agency in your own denomination. And at the same time, a local church has called you and asked you to be their pastor. Mm -hmm. And uh, your wife is dying and you're speaking to a local church at the same time. So... Pastor Tim, when we come back, I want that part of the story. And if you can, I want you to also take us to the dying bedside mm. uh, of your wife and explain to us how faith in God works during a time mm. like that. So we're going to be right back with uh, Pastor Tim Clausen. Uh, thank you for joining us here at uh, Truth and Life today. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Pastor Tim, in the midst of your own sorrow and watching your wife deteriorating, 
praying for her own healing, but clearly it must have become clear to you that, that the Lord was taking her. I don't know exactly when that would have said, I, th- I think God is clearly indicating that she's going home. Mm-hmm. But I don't know whether that time ever, you know, there's a definitive time or, or not. Well, <clears throat> for me, um, my faith and my belief, I, I still believed right to the end that God was going to heal her. Um, I just, I don't, I, it seems crazy and everything we saw didn't indicate that in any way, but I was, I would s- still hanging on to that belief that God was going to heal her. So let's let's chase that down right now. And 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 the day came when she passed. Mm-hmm. Your own faith, as you tended to process that, you're you're looking to God to heal her. God does not heal her. Um, what happened to Tim Clausen after your precious wife passed? Um, I think I was able to hold that belief that God heals, that he can, that he might, um, with the tension that we live in a world where we don't always, things don't always go the way that we would want or even hope for or even pray for. And so I think I was able to hold those two things in in tension. Um, I'd like to tell you a bit about the last Weekend, if I can, I think it would be helpful. So um, uh, my wife passed away uh, towards the end of March uh, 2013. And um, it was unexpected in a sense. I mean, we we didn't expect her to live, you know, long. But um, typically the scenario had been was she'd take a bit of a dive and then we'd go into the hospital. The doctors would uh, tweak her meds. And then we'd go back home and everything was okay again. Uh, maybe a little bit lesser than before, but so this happened another week. She was, you know, she'd um, deteriorated a bit. Uh, so we went into the, the hospital to have her meds adjusted. And the doctor came to me and, and said, you know, she's probably only got another month or so. So that was on a Thursday night. Uh, my girls went away that weekend to, to have a birthday party with friends. And, and on, the, um, on that weekend, she really started to go in a way that she never had before. Uh, my girls got back Saturday. Uh, Sunday, um, things started to, you know, digress even more so. Uh, so my oldest daughter, we would all take turns spending the night often when she was in the hospital with her. So that night when my daughter took the turn on that Sunday evening and then um, we got the phone call from her about, I don't know, four in the morning, uh, Monday. And um, it appeared she would, this was it. Um, So it happened really fast that weekend, Mm -hmm. totally unexpected uh, in the short term. So we all got to the hospital. Uh, she was starting to go in and out of consciousness. And, um, but she didn't pass away that morning. And uh, it was really a gift to us as a family because uh, extended family could come, come into the room, say their goodbyes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the last memories are that um, um, Virginia, called out my name, yeah. but her last words were, 
Jesus loves me. Huh. So then she went into um, more of an unconscious state after that, went into afternoon, still alive, still breathing. And um, uh, at the same time, I, I called this couple who had come back from Guatemala and they were in Guatemala and somebody had told them that they were going to come back to Canada and pray for somebody for their healing. Mm-hmm. So I called them and I said, um, and they thought it was Virginia. I said, if, if that's true, tonight's got to be the night. So... So they came and um, spent some time in the room with Virginia and we prayed. Um, At the same time, I had friends in the waiting room speaking to a man who was from Guatemala, whose dad was in the room next to my wife's, who didn't know the Lord and uh, was dying. And through the whole process, we realized they they weren't coming to pray for my wife. They were coming to pray for him. So they went into the room and this man had rejected his son who was a believer and uh, they asked if they could pray for him and he welcomed it. Mm. And I was to find out later during that weekend um, or the the beginning of the next week that uh, his dad exclaimed that uh, he had seen something so beautiful. So even in my wife's death, she had such a passion to see people come to know Jesus. And it's like even in her death, her death was instrumental in another person uh, hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Huh. Huh. So, um, so when the scripture says, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Yeah. Um, you were witnessing a, I think, a, God's testimony to you mm-hmm. that she is the Lord's yeah. even in that. Yeah. Yeah. So just to finish what happened. So she, um, you know, she was still breathing. And um, so myself and my youngest daughter, we were able to get a bed put on either side of her. And um, I tried to stay awake. And uh, sometime around uh, 1.30 in the morning, um, I heard her breathe her last. And it just made me think about the preciousness of life, like how precious life is and how precious and what a gift every breath of, of, of air that we have to breathe. And um, for me, it was sacred to be in the room with her as, as uh, she breathed her last. Before we leave this subject, I need to ask you a very pointed question. Um, when you went through what you went through, and as you think back now of your own experience, Tell me whether or not it was a struggle for you to come to terms with the goodness of God or whether or not that was a given for you. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, uh, it was a given. I never questioned God's goodness through the whole thing. Um, I think that my belief in God and my belief in how the world works and even how the gospel works, I think the gospel story from creation to Jesus coming to the end of this life as we know it, into the next life with a new heaven and new earth. If, if you believe that story as I do, then I, my expectation actually is a mixture in this life, that uh, sin has been introduced into our world and it will continue to infect our world with, so that we experience both good and bad things. And uh, until the next, uh, season with, with God, um, we're going to see death because although death has been conquered, it's not yet been put under Jesus' feet. And so 
um, I believe that's part of our expected reality. Tim, as you, as you, uh, you know, there's a part of the story that we won't have time to talk about, but I know that while your wife, Virginia, was dying, that at the same time you were in the process of receiving a call to a pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you started out that pastoral ministry now no longer as a married man, but as a, but as a widowed man. Mm-hmm. Um, as you think about that and how you know, tell me about how that impacted you. How does your 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 call to pastoral ministry and the the wounds that you carry right into your own pastoral office? Are you an effective pastor because of this, or are you not? <laughs> I, I think you have to ask other people. Well, maybe it. you do, but what do you sense? Well, I think <clears throat> you know. Previously, you always have empathy for people. Um, you know, if someone's going through an illness or whatever as a pastor, you just want to love and care for them. But there is something different about having walked through the waters uh, of grief in your own life mm-hmm. and to experience a loss like that. So, I mean, you, you, there's the phrase, walk with a limp, and, and I do think I walk with a limp. I think that makes me a better pastor oh. as a result of that. Oh. Pastor Tim Clausen, I want to thank you for the openness in which you've shared your story of grief and of suffering. And I know that I don't think there's anybody who watches this that doesn't understand that you can't live in this world without encountering suffering on a significant level. Our Savior suffered for us. Mm -hmm. He too understands our suffering. Thank you for sharing your own with us. And uh, thank you for remaining faithful to Christ in the middle of all of that. Thank you for being a part of this, this program. Thank you, John. It's been a privilege. You know, as Pastor Tim was, was speaking, I, I thought of a number of scriptural passages, and let me read them to you. Uh, they're from the book of, of Philippians, and the first is from chapter 2, verse 25 and following. Uh, Paul writes, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphrodites, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as a messenger and minister to my need. And then he says, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And then Paul adds, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So here the man who's writing this. Um, the great apostle and perhaps the greatest missionary the Christian church has ever seen. A man who taught us more about trust in God than in anyone. It was a man who knew sorrow upon sorrow. A man who knew what death meant and a man who knew what suffering meant. You know, later on in uh, the next chapter, Paul writes, My goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he adds, And the fellowship of his suffering conformed to his death. And in other words, he assumes that in this world, that suffering and death will be a part of the experience that he undergoes. You know, we've said it before that there are some people that go through very momentous times and testify that they've lost faith in God. If God is good, how can this happen? Well, I've wanted to simply let Pastor Tim tell his story, his story of love and a story of longing, a story of desiring healing from God, and then a story of death, and then a story, as we know, it's a story of having to go on after that. And what I like about Pastor Tim is the consistency of his story. 
He's never failed to testify that Jesus Christ was for him his all in all. And that's what sustained him throughout all of this loss. See, every one of us, when we suffer, will have to come to a decision. Is the suffering surprising and unexpected, or was it a part of what we had always expected from this broken and ruined and sin-soaked world? See, that's the question. And if the, if the answer is, I had expected there to be suffering, but I expected also that in the midst of the suffering, there would be enough grace from God that would sustain me at that time. You see, if that's your expectation, I promise you this, you can walk through the valleys and you can emerge on the other side and you can still be a loving and a gracious and a faith-filled human being. But if on the other hand, that we make expectations and demands on God, we'll find ourselves angry and despairing. The reason I find Pastor Tim such an endearing man is because of his authenticity. He's a man who pulls no punches and tells the story exactly as it has happened. He tells about expecting his wife to be healed until the last day, not wanting to hide what his hope was and what the reality came to be. But at the same time, he found himself constantly in the grace of God. And here's the the message that I think that we can learn. There is always grace from God if we look for it. There's always a time when God reaches out his hand and says, my grace will sustain you in this hour. If you're suffering today, take hope, my dear friend. There is a God who loves you. And there is a God who tells you that even though you walk through a very dark valley, there is joy in the morning. God has enough promises to sustain you today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us in Truth and Life today. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, Thanks for joining us today.